So worship is a multifaceted expression, but it's who we are. We are creatures of worship. If we serve God, if we know God, we worship Him in everything that we do, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our in our prayer time, in, in the things that we do, the things that we enjoy, our entertainment. Everything's an act of worship to God. And when we sing praises to God, it's a heartfelt thing. It's not just coming here and reading up on the screen. Let's do this one. Let's pat our foot. Let's get through with this thing. I tell you, worship was powerful today. It was powerful today. But we also have to understand that worship is an invitation for God's presence. And when you're feeling like you just don't know where to go and what to do, just begin to worship him. You'll feel the entire atmosphere shift in your home, in your car, wherever you may be. Psalm 22, 3 says, Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. That's the NLT. The Amplified says, But you are holy, O you who dwell in the holy place, where the praises of Israel are, are offered. And then the Passion says, Yet I know that you are the most holy. It's indisputable. See, there's no question in our mind who we serve and who we worship and who we look to. There's no question. He says, you are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Isn't that beautiful? Well, if you think, well, that's praises, that's not worship. But let's look at that word in, in the Hebrew. It's the word tehila, not tequila, tehila, okay? It'll make you feel better than tequila, okay? But tehila, it means offering words of homage as an act of worship. And that word homage is, or homage is acts of respect or honor shown publicly. Publicly. See, some people get real nervous when they have to express worship to God in, in a, pri- a public setting. But why don't anybody looking at me? Well, who cares who's looking at We should be looking at God, right? That's the wrong attitude right there. It's not about you, unfortunately. Let me tell you, it's not about you. But in a way, I'm going to show you it kind of is. It's not about you, but it's all about him. It's all about him. So we keep our eyes on him. Who cares who's looking at you? Maybe they'll start doing something, right? So, but in the Old Testament, we have to understand that worship and praise leads us into the presence of God. And just real quickly, the Old Testament gave us a pattern of entering into God's presence. And I've taught on this so many times. I'm not going, I'm just going to show you this, this little diagram here, but it's a beautiful picture of the pathway into the presence of God. And we see that the, the very same things that that or well, every one of these uh, every one of these pieces inside the tabernacle represent a finished work of Jesus on the cross. We've talked about this a lot. Maybe it's maybe it's time to bring it back out. But you know, the door Jesus is the door, and the the brazen altar is where we repent of our sins and we get into go up approaching the holy place. And then we have the the labor where there's a continual cleansing by the Holy Spirit in our life. And and in the in the mirrored labor, they would look in and they would see because they've been killing animals and living life. They see a little dust on their face or blood on their face. What would they do? They wash it off. You know, we need to wash, we need to wash off our stuff every day. Like we all walk with clay feet and sometimes we just have to, God, forgive me for this attitude. God, forgive me for whatever, you know, whatever it might be. So that's, isn't that a beautiful privilege that we have? Not that you make one mistake and boy, you're out. No, God is continually filled with mercy. But then you enter into the holy place and you see three pieces of furniture or three items or articles, a table of showbread which represents that Jesus is the bread of life. And I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but he is the bread of life. And then you get to the golden candlestick, which was the only light in the holy place, by the way. And so isn't Jesus the only light of the world? He is the only, and we are salt and light, right? Then we get to the altar of incense, and that represents the prayers that are continuously going up before the Lord. 
And then through there, you get into the Holy of Holies, which is where the presence of God is. So we see that prayer and praise and service, all these and repentance, all lead us into the presence of God. So is, you know, just not anybody can get an audience with God then or now, by the way, because sins will separate us from God, right? So if you're a born again believer, child of God, got the Holy Spirit in you, you have an audience with God anytime you want. Is that not incredible? That's even better than these guys had. Once a year, the priest, the high priest would go in there and they would tie a rope around his robe and put, and put bells on his robe because if God struck him dead because he had sin in his life and hadn't properly prepared, they had a way of pulling him out. Is that not something? So they tie that rope around his leg and I can just see him pull. Oh, well, he didn't make it. What was he doing? I wonder what he was doing that he didn't repent of. <laughs> so. But the tabernacle was something that would showcase the eminence of God. It showcased the incredible eminence of God. Every piece of furniture, every article was meant to inspire worship of God. But it was also a, a picture of how God wants to dwell and live among his people. So it was a beautiful, beautiful people, a, a beautiful picture. And it, it provided for the people... Uh, the understanding of the holiness of God. See, it removed him from the common, profane, everydayness of life because he is so incredibly wonderful and marvelous. Okay, now, just thinking about that and thinking about the, the seriousness of going into the tabernacle, and now think about what Jesus has done for us when we can enter into God's presence. But let me, let me read Hebrews 9. It says, Now the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled at the time, the Old Testament. For as long as the tabernacle stood, it was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of the worshipers. It was ritual. It did nothing for the heart. But it made the people presentable to God if, if they followed this. But listen to this. For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drink and ceremonial washings, which was imposed upon us until when? Until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived. Let me tell you, the time has arrived. You know, Jesus said in, in Luke 4, he says, this day, this word is fulfilled. He closed the book. This day, this word is fulfilled. The favors of God now are available to us profusely, it says in one translation. But now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come. For he serves in a greater, more perfect heavenly tabernacle not made by men. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that worship is about the heart. It's about a restored heart. It's about a heart pursuing God. Is it about a perfect body and never making a mistake? No. But I'm telling you, if you love God and you do something that's wrong, your heart's going to... You know, you know, I mean, you know, I have a little, um, uh, I have two dogs and one is a rescue and I have to tell a Callie story now, but Callie is so wonderful. She's so, but she's been highly traumatized. So, you know, just the, just a, a sudden reach down to pat her and she'll yelp and like you've hit her because that's she evidently was abuse. So we're working that out and it's getting much, much better. So I reached down one day and, and she's never been aggressive toward any human my knowledge, but I reached down one day to touch her foot and she did a little nip like that at me. And it's like, she suddenly realized, Oh, what have I done? What have I done? She came running after my hand, licking my hand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Well, that's the repentant heart. 
And that's the way we should be of God. We might nip at something we shouldn't be nipping at. We might partake of something we shouldn't be partake. But our hearts should immediately say, oh, what have I done? And we should go running after God, forgive me. And you know, I just, I just grabbed her up and loved on her because I knew what, I knew what was going through that little mind. And she's getting so much better with that because she's getting secure in our relationship. See, trauma is a horrible thing. And trauma will destroy your relationships with people and with God if you don't get healed and don't understand the impact that it can have on lives. So, so worship is about a heart restored. And when our, when our hearts are not restored, Everything we do is ritualistic. See, if your heart, you can come, and I tell you, you can come into church and make you a Christian, right? Loving God makes you a Christian. And if you, if your heart has not been restored to God, when you come in here, you might can sing like everybody else, run and shout and dance and do all these things. It's ritualistic. It has no meaning to it. I want to read uh, the words of a song. I, this is an older song, but it's called Clear the Stage by Jimmy Needham. And I know a lot of you know this song, but it's talking about worship. It says, clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregations few and have revival. Tell your friend that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins. You can't be social. Then seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward. So just be hopeful. Take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Cause you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong because worship is more than a song. So that, that's a powerful, powerful song. But if we look in the book of Acts, the apostolic church, and we saw that the first church gathered daily for worship. <gasps> daily? We can't, you know, now they're trying to keep us from meeting weekly, right? The church, and then they would worship in the temple daily. They worshiped in the homes of the believers. They devoted themselves to teaching of the apostles' doctrine, to prayer, to fellowship, to, to food, and, and all of this. We're having a movie on, on August 21st, a Friday night. We want you to come. That's fellowship, right? That's Acts 2 fellowship, right? So come and be a part. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the family, the church family, and invite someone to come. But we have a freedom as a believer to enter into the presence of God at any time and any place. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning, Right? And, and I just want to keep saying, I, can't, I feel like somebody's in a bag in here. You can punch yourself out of that bag with worship. You can put, we've done it so many times, haven't we? When we don't know what to do, what do we do? We just worship God. God, we don't know what to do. You know, I've even done that for some issues I've had with attitudes. God, I don't know what to do, but if you don't do something, I'm going to do it again. Just as honest as I could be. And what did God do? He did something. He changed my heart because I recognized who he is. We have to understand that God, God is God and he only desires the best thing for us. If you're struggling with an attitude, there's something else, maybe, maybe it's on Facebook. Just tell God, God, I've got a stinking attitude and if you don't do something, I'm, I'm going to do it again. I've got an addiction problem and if you don't help me, I'm going to do it again. You know what? God wants to help you out of your problem, out of our problems. He really does. So worship also has a purpose of glorifying God, but it also has a benefit. And this is where I said it really kind of is for us too. Let me tell you, this shows you the character and the nature of God. 
You don't do anything for God that you don't get back. Does anybody, can anybody say amen to that? We don't do anything for God that we don't get back something. And so this is from Jack Hayford, and it's called The Fruit of Worship. Listen, this is powerful. The inevitable fruit of vital worship will be transformed people who become transforming instruments of God's grace and deliverance to the world. When I say that the church is the only one that has the authority to combat the evil that's in the, the nation, it's the remnant worshiping church. The church that meets on Sunday and just goes through the motions, three songs, announcements, a word, go home, nothing's happened. Forget it. You're going through the motions. The remnant worshiping church is the one that has the authority and the power over the enemy. And we are the only answer for what is going on in our nation today. We, the church, not impact, but we're part of that answer, right? We're certainly here for our city. We're certainly here for the people in our city. So worship is both transforming and it's empowering. And what did God tell Abraham? Numerous times he said, I'm going to bless you so you will be a blessing to whom? Others. You know, do you realize we're supposed to be a blessing to others? It's not all about us. I hate to tell us this. It's about serving others. It's about helping others. It's about bringing deliverance to others. And so worshiping God definitely has, he has our best interest. That's that Ahava love we've talked about before. The Ahava love means that I see you, I see your need, and will answer you in a way that's in your best interest. So that's, that's the kind of God that we serve. So what is it, what do we really, what can we get from the presence of God? Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, 4 says, now you want to know what was in the ark? What was in the ark? You think, well, it was just a wooden box. No, let me tell you what was in, it's very key what was in the ark. Because that associates something with God. God's saying, okay, I've got this in the tabernacle. He told them to put it in there, in the, in the ark of the tabernacle. There was a reason for that. And so as we look in Hebrews 9, 4, it says the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein these three things are inside the covenant, the Ark. The golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. So three things. The manna represents what? Supernatural provision. So God is saying when my presence is here, you've got supernatural provision. Aaron's rod represents supernatural favor. And the covenant represents the supernatural word of God. See, it doesn't define what God does. It defines who he is. That's very important to understand that distinction. It's who God is. Does God bestow favor? He does, but it's because he is favor. Does God bestow provision? He does because he is provision. So you can't get around love and not feel love and not receive love, right? God is love. So therefore, when we come to God, what are we going to receive? He can't give you hate because he doesn't have hate. The scripture tells us that there is no darkness in him whatsoever. So when we come to him with a need, his love is going to overflow to us because he is love. And if if we think about, well, it's because he does love, well, then he might not feel like doing love on a day. If God is healing and we get up in the morning and we need healing, well, God, are you in the mood to heal today because you do healing? No, he is healing. He is healing. So we have to understand that distinction. He is all of these things. It's kind of like understanding this, he, these are the essence of who he is. If I were to ask you to tell me, define the color red, what would you say? You can only define it by comparing it to something else, right? Maybe some quantum physicists might talk about wavelengths and all that, but the average person is not going to do that, right? 
Red is the essence of this being. What if I ask you to separate heat from a fire? Heat's the essence of the fire. If you're near fire, you're going to get burned, right? Because heat is there. It's what it is. And God is the same. That's why he says, I am. Not I'll do, I am. Because I am, this is, this is a, an automatic blessing when you get into my presence. And this is why we find the presence of God is so critical in this. What if our nation, what if the whole church just began to praise God and there was a blanket of God's presence covered our nation? Can you imagine? What, you, who was, oh, you were talking about going to the schools. Somebody was talking about going to the schools and praying. Who was that? Deborah. On Thursday, right? On Thursday. What she's doing, she's not going to announce anything. She's not going to put an article in the newspaper and talk about how awesome that she is. To go. No, she's going to go and she's going to bring the presence of God on that school ground. Things are going to change, right? Things are going to happen. When we come into this place, we bring the presence of God with us. And our prayer is always, God, we just want to get out of your way and allow you to do what you want to do. Because, see, God knows every person in here's need. He knows, he knows needs we don't even know we have. He knows needs that we don't even know we have. So we want to worship God and approach God in his way, in his way. And John, and, and so I want to look at these different, uh, these three things and just, just very quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. You know, we talk about so much in here and, um, you know, you know, the blessings of God are for every one of us, but we have to do it his way. We have to do it his way. I was talking to, I think I was telling you, I was talking to somebody recently who couldn't understand why they weren't hearing from God. I said, because you haven't been obedient to the first thing he said to do. So we got to do it his way. We can't have the blessings of God and not do it his way. That's, that's common sense, right? That's right. Uh, and, you know, some bad parents will do that. They'll tell their kids, you know, well, you, if you don't do this, you can't have this. And what do they do? The kids don't do it. They throw a, a fit. When we were little, we used to call it a hissy fit. That's what my grandmother called it, a hissy fit. And so rather than the parents having to deal with it, they'd tell, go on. Well, let me tell you, God don't do that. God does not do that. God will say, go back to your room, and when you get yourself together and you come out, we'll have a conversation about it. All right, you get your little self together. So the golden jar, it's supernatural provision. How many need supernatural provision in here? Yes. Yeah. Let me tell you something. If you don't need supernatural provision, you're not answering the dream God's placed in your life. Let me just say that. Because God's going to give you a dream so great that you're going to have to have his provision. And if you could do it only with what you have in, in, in hand right now, God's not in it probably. That's probably one of our little things. So if God's placed something, and that's what scares people away. God, I know you put this in my heart to do, but I don't have the provision. He said, well, I know that. I'm going to give that to you. But it's an act of faith, isn't it? We started Genesis with almost nothing, didn't we? God just provided the provision. He provided the people. And he continues to provide the people. The church, he continues to, pastor just started the church. Back in 1981, God provided the people provision. And God continues to provide. You know, there's times when God will, there's a couple of times the Lord has told me since I've been pastor to do certain things. And when I, and I knew in the natural it didn't make sense. Or kind of didn't make sense. I believed it, but in the natural I thought, well, there's going to be some kickback on this. Well, let me tell you something. God has always provided. And you know that you know that you know when it's time to do it. There's, there, you know that you know. And let me tell you, I'm going to, I'm just, while I'm rambling here, we're in a season of life with this COVID situation that I believe God is going to be transitioning a lot of people to do a lot of things. 
And you may not in the natural look like it makes sense or it may not look like you had the provision. But let me tell you, do not hinder the move of God in your life by lack of faith. You take one step, God will provide. You take another step, God will provide. When he quits providing, you quit walking, right? But God always takes, God always provides. He always provides. So Jesus is our provision. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Remember the bread in the holy place? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now he's talking spiritually, right? If you go over to Matthew 6, 33, he's talking about, well, I don't know what I'm going to wear. I don't know what I'm going to eat. He said, just seek first the kingdom and all these things are going to come to you. All of these things are going to come to you. So he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is our provision. The golden jar was that manna that was supernaturally provided for the people of Israel, wasn't it? And so God has always provided. You know, bread is mentioned over 490 times in the Bible. And I'm wondering, God, I wonder what kind of bread that was. <laughs> That's what I thought. Was it rye? Was it? <laughs> no. It was unleavened, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I love bread. And the carbs, good carbs are good, but too many carbs are bad. But anyway, so Jesus is that bread, and, and he's our source of nourishment. He's our source of strength. He's our source of energy, just like bread is. And he is, he declared himself to be the bread of life. Second Corinthians one twenty says, listen to this. Now, Jesus is the bread of life. You know, God's got something for you to do. You need an answer to the promise God's put in your heart to do or something, some, whatever it is, ministry, business, whatever, job, whatever it might be. All the promises of God. Find their yes in him. This is why when God tells you to do something, you find a promise in the word of God that you can speak over that situation. My God supplies my needs according to his riches and glory. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but God, you said that if I seek you, that you will reveal to me things I have no knowledge of. Jeremiah 33, 3. If you need peace, he said, just keep your mind stayed on me. And he says, I'm going to give you peace because you trust in me. So I'm not talking about frivolous things. I'm talking about God-driven things. You know, if you're wanting a Mercedes rather than your Cadillac, I'd really pray about that now. But if God tells you to do it, do it, okay? But I'm just I'm talking about those God dreams, those God desires, those things that this word is very, very clear about. See, God desires that you be peaceful. He desires that you be happy. He desires that you be prosperous. He desires that you be in health and that you be whole. The word is very clear on those. So you have you have foundational truth to stand on and declare that these belong to me. These belong to me. You might have some unruly children. Let me tell you, I pray it all the time, even today. Great is the peace of my children. They all sought taught of the Lord. It's in Isaiah 54, 13, I think. So these are promises, even when they're acting like little hellions. You know, and they're not doing anything that you think they ought to do. Great is the peace of my children, and they're all taught of the Lord. I was praying for my grandkids the other day. I've shifted from kids to my kids. have got it great now, my grandkids. And, you know, the Lord yelled at me. I got it done. I got it. You know, but not that I seem to quit, but it was brought peace to me. And I just kind of, because I was really in a, a, you know, your mind can kind of go nuts on you, can it? And you can begin to think and imagine things that aren't true. So we need to be careful about that. But Jesus is the answer. All the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You notice that I've got this highlighted in red, in Christ, in him, through him. It's those that are in relationship with him. Those that are in relationship. 
how do I know if I'm in relationship? Are you being obedient to the word? Is the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you worshiping? Are you praying? Are you in the word? Are you seeking God? If you're in relation, you know when you're in relation. Don't you know when you're in and out of a relationship with somebody? Right? I, mean, I don't start to say husbands, but we're never out of relationship. But I imagine, you know, there are some situations where you can kind of be out of, kind of at odds with each other. And you're not speaking and you kind of don't want to be around them and you just wish they'd go away or something, you know. <laughs> and, you know, you know when that's right, real, don't you? But you also know when the peace is there and that relationship is restored. I love the story of George Mueller. Over 50,000 different answers to prayer were found in his journals when he died. 50,000, over 50,000 answers to prayer. He, what did he do? He had a vision for orphans in England. That's what he did. Orphans in England, and he took, I've forgotten the millions of dollars in today's dollars that were just brought to him because God was his provision. Let me tell you, in this time of pandemic, we should never fear. We should never fear because the presence of God is provision. And even if it's, even if you're seeing a shift, even if maybe you've lost something during this time, God might just be shifting you into another place. So don't be afraid of the transition. Don't be afraid of the shifts that are coming, right? So we have to give God glory. We have to also think that, God, you provided for the children in the wilderness. You're going to provide for me. Let me tell you, he's never seen, I've never seen, the word says he's never seen his righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. If you're a child of God, do you have confidence in who he is? So number two was Aaron's rod that budded. And you know that story about it is in number 16 and 17 and Korah and all his followers rose up against Moses and Aaron and God sends a plague and wipes out 14,700 of them. And then, you know, there were, and then he destroyed Korah and his family. And then Moses had all the heads of the family to bring a wooden staff and write their name on it. And he said, God said, I'm going to choose the one that's going to lead my people, the priesthood. Let me tell you, you know, you're, you have been chosen. You're a priest. The word says that we are kings and priests. And so they got up the next morning and Aaron's staff had budded. Now, isn't it interesting that God would choose to store that in a in the ark? But that's I believe that staff represents the divine favor of God. Psalms 512, this is not on the slide, but I'm just going to give it to you. Surely, the Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Let me tell you, whatever you're going into, you go in with the favor of God. Whatever problem you have, you go in with the favor of God. Whatever situation you have, I'm, I'm reminded of the story, and I've told, some of you know this, but um, years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago now, we had a little situation where a guy came into our church and was wanting help, and we helped him a lot, but he ended up getting back on drugs, and so we refused to help him. And so he came to my office and wanted more money, and I said, I'll be happy to give you something if you pass a drug screen, which I, you know, being in the, what we do, I just happen to have one in my closet. And you should have heard the words that came out of this man's mouth. It was nasty. He called every words I hadn't heard in years. And so our associate pastor re, went by side of him and he said, now come on and called his name and just touched his elbow. Let's, let's leave. And we were over in the office building over there. Next thing you know, this guy served on the warrant for assault. So comes to, so we have a friend who's an attorney who represented him free of charge for us. Praise God. And the court date comes, and we're going to hear the morning before, and we're praying, God, please send a stupor over this guy. And so we go to court, and that was our prayer. We kept hearing stupor, stupor. And so we go to court, 
and we're you know we're back there praying quietly in the spirit the our guys up there and with the attorney and they call this guy up who made the accusation and they said Mr. so and so do you see the person who assaulted you in the court now he's about as far as me to Karen and he just looks all over and he says no I don't see him here now the pastor the associate pastor said he felt a veil drop down over him sitting there in the courtroom and so um he said, no, I don't see him here. And, and so he, the, uh, the prosecutor said, now, look again. Do you not see the person? He said, I don't I see his attorney, he said, but I don't see him. Now, isn't that something? I see his attorney, but I don't see him. And so the attorney, our friend, stood up and said, Your Honor, I, I move that we dismiss these charges. And he said, done, like that. And I told Frank, the attorney, I said, uh, Frank, we've been praying that a stupor would fall over this guy. And this is what he said. He says, the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but let me tell you, that was God's shield of favor. And there's story after story after story. And that's right. I forgot that. As soon as the judge hit the gavel, he steps and he said, there he is. But it was done. Is that not incredible how awesome our God is? That is favor. And so you can expect that. John 1, 4 says, and he, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That's what God's favor is, grace and truth to us. Grace is something we get that we don't deserve, right? And so we want that grace. And truth is he stands in the truth of his character and who he is. John 1, 17, for law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of Lord's favor has come. Let me tell you, with grace comes mercy. With grace comes mercy. And that's getting what you not getting what you do deserve. You know, when, aren't we? We say amen, thank you, God, for that, right? Because all of us could have a boatload of stuff that we could get. But many of us, sometimes we stumble, we make mistakes. Mercy is God saying, yeah, I see that. I see your heart. You're not getting what you deserve. I took that for you. Is that not the incredible presence and favor and grace of God on us? And you know, the incredible thing is in the Old Testament, only a few found favor. Only a few. But you know, in the New Testament, God has freely poured out that favor on us. Let me tell you, and I think worship, worship is a key trait to a true believer. I don't know if you can truly believe and not have a worshiping heart. I don't think you can. Worship is just saying, God, thank you. Can you, can you imagine the celebration that took place that day after we left that courtroom? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, Lord, we're just praising God because it was a true supernatural miracle of favor. God is so good. And so in this time that we're in, when it looks like your, op- your opportunities and maybe even some dreams you've had have been lost, God has surrounded you with his favor. God will open doors for you. He will open doors for you. Just don't be afraid to walk in and be able to recognize his favor. Number three was the tablets of the covenant. And that is that we know that the tablets represented the word of God. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word? Jesus is the word. You see how Jesus fulfilled all of these? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Isn't that incredible? See, God showed us in the Old Testament, the ark, how he wants to dwell with his people. 
And then what do we have? We have Jesus coming in the flesh, dwelling among the people. And now we have the Spirit of God inside of us, dwelling among people. God has always desired to be with His people. Psalm eighty-nine, thirty-four: I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. See, the, import, the Word of God is everything. That's why we say whatever your situation, find you a promise in the Word of God and you stand on it. You stand on it. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he can lie or son of man that he should change his mind. See, that's where the devil wants you to think that God's mad at you, therefore he's changed his mind. He said, no, I am a candidate for grace and mercy. I have the favor of God. Well, you know what you did. That's what the devil, it doesn't matter. It's under the blood. I am, a, I am a candidate. I have the favor of God operating in my life. I have the mercy of God operating in my life. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? His presence, his word, his favor. We have to understand the, the, the incredible love that God has for us. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of, of a better covenant with better promises. Second Peter 1, 3, As his divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have the power to live life victoriously, but it comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's Second Peter 1, 3. So some of you may need provision. You may need the, maybe you need favor on your job. Maybe you need just to get back into the Word and, and understand the promises. They're ours, and we have to choose. This, this is a great starting point for worship. God, I thank you for your favor. I thank you for provision. I thank you for the Word. That I mean, I pray the Word all the time. I pray the names of God all the time because I feel like if He said it, it's a whole lot smarter than I am, right? I can't make up anything any better than this. And so our worship is an indicator of our love and our appreciation to God. See, when you come in here and we have worship services all about your appreciation to God, each one of us individually, each one of us individually. Let me give you a scripture in Deuteronomy. This is kind of a warning. This is what he gave to, and I think it's even more so now in the New Testament, but it says, if you do not serve or worship the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you've received, you will serve your enemies. See, it's not that God is going to zap you. It's a, it's a natural consequence. If we don't appreciate and serve God with joy, with enthusiasm because of what he has done, we're immediately going to be overtaken by the enemy because the enemy works right here, doesn't he? If we're not excited about what God is doing, then we're excited about what the devil is doing or we're fearing it, right? So we have to be careful. He says you're going to be left hungry, thirsty, naked, and lacking in everything. Why? Because we didn't serve God with enthusiasm. We didn't worship him. So worship is a privilege. It is so a privilege. And, for, and just a couple more scriptures. But Second Corinthians 4, 7. I want you to just think about this. You have this treasure in, in earthen vessels. We have the power and, the, and the, the presence of holy God in these earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Romans 9, 4 says, They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed His glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them His law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping Him and receiving His wonderful promises. This is telling me that we have a privilege to worship, but our promises are, are directly related to our worship of God. 
And you're, if, you, if you've been struggling with an area, I would just say increase your worship about that area. Listen to what God is saying to you. Many times an answer will come through worship. You know, many times in a church service, the prophetic word is released during worship. Do you realize that? As, as we're in here worshiping the Lord, the spirit of prophecy will begin to work in the church and we'll begin to hear what God is trying to say because we've exalted him. We put it, you know, he's, he's, he's abiding in the praises of his people. Romans, listen to this, what, Rome, what worship really is. I said it's a lifestyle, didn't I? This is our last scripture. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. That's your heart. That's your mouth. That's your eyes. That's your ears. That's your feet that carry you places. He says, give your body to God because of all he has done. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. This kind he will find acceptable. Listen to this. This is truly the way to worship him. This is truly the way to worship him. Have we done that? Have we made, Lord, I just want to give you all that I am. I love the song. Worship is more than a song. Get rid of the pews. Get rid of the the crowds. Just get on your face until your knees are are bruised and, and God speak to us. That's an act of worship because we're saying, God, we trust in you. We trust in you. You know, I was thinking this week in Exodus seven sixteen, where the Lord, in several places, the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh to say, let my people go that they may worship me. And I don't know about you guys, but I just always picture that as this one big, huge weenie roast out in the desert, you know, where they're going to have all these cows and chickens and all these other things that they were, they were going to have a great big just bonfire and have a great time with God and, you know, celebrate and dancing and singing and all of this. And then I made the mistake this week of looking up that word in the Hebrew. That's not what it means at all. It's the word avad in the Hebrew. Listen to what it means. It means to do or make. It means to worship or obey. It means to enslave and to reduce to servitude. So God is saying, you release my people who are slaves to you so they can become a slave to me. And, you know, if we've got a real religious spirit, we might have a problem with that. If you don't know who God is, the best thing we can do in life is be a slave to God and slave to Jesus Christ. How do I know? Romans 1 and 1, Paul said, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 1, Paul and Timothy said, we're slaves to Christ Jesus. Jude 1, Jude said, I'm a slave to Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2.16, it says, But you are free, yet you are God's slave, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. The best thing we can do is to give ourselves to servitude to God and do it with a joyful heart. The disciples were so excited, they were counted the privilege or given the privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. Can we do that? Can we count it a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ? Too many times we suffer for our own dumb mistakes, don't we? There's a lot of persecution going on in the world. A lot of persecution. A lot of churches have been closed in other nations. For years it's been going on, and it's happening even more so now. And we know in our own nation we're seeing a level of persecution come that we've never seen before because the church has been minimalized. The church has been dishonored. God has been dishonored. And so when we don't, whoever has the ruling voice can have the say. 
but God, but God. And I want us to end today with just a time of worship. And if you will stand. And whatever you are dealing with, whatever you are going through, let me tell you something. Worship yourself out of it. Begin to trust God for what His Word says about that situation. If you're sick in your body and they've given you a terminal illness, disease, or classification, that's not what God says. He says you're going to live and not die and proclaim the works of the Lord. He said, with a long life, I'm going to satisfy you and show you my salvation. That's what the Word of God says. When your bank account's down to zero or sometimes negative zero, He says, I'm the Lord God who supplies all of your need according to your riches and glory. He says, I'm going to give you witty ideas and inventions. He says, what you put your hands to will prosper. We thank God for the word, whatever it might be. If we're struggling with unrest and and lack of peace, he said, I'm Jehovah Shalom. I leave you my peace. So we we worship God. You worship yourself out of that situation until, until you see the manifestation of the promise in your life.